0: Now you talk about terror. Welcome to another podcast from the Chris Hedges Report. I'm Chris Hedges, and you can find more of my work at ChrisHedges.substack.com. All my Craig Murray, the former British ambassador to Uzbekistan, was removed from his post after he made public the widespread use of torture by the Uzbek government and the CIA. He has since become one of Britain's most important human rights campaigners and a fierce advocate for Julian Assange, as well as a supporter of Scottish independence. His coverage of the trial of former Scottish First Minister Alex Salmond, who was acquitted of sexual assault charges, saw him charged with contempt of court and sentenced to eight months in prison. The very dubious sentence, half of which Craig served, upended most legal norms. He was sentenced, his supporters argued, to prevent him from testifying as a witness in the Spanish criminal case against UC Global Director David Morales, being prosecuted for installing a surveillance system in the Ecuadorian embassy when Julian Assange found refuge that was used to record the privileged communications between Julian and his lawyers. Morales is alleged to have carried out this surveillance on behalf of the CIA. Murray has published some of the most prescient and eloquent reports from. Julian's extradition hearings, and was one of a half-dozen guests, including myself, invited to Julian and Stella's wedding in Belmarsh Prison in March 2022. Prison authorities denied entry to Craig based on what the UK Ministry of Justice said were security concerns, as well as myself, uh, from attending the ceremony. Joining me to discuss what is happening to Julian Assange and the rapid erosion of our most basic democratic rights is Craig Murray. And just to begin, Craig, I read all of your reports from the trial, which are at once eloquent and brilliant. I think it's the best coverage or the hearings that we've had of the hearings. Um, But I want you to bring us up to date where we are uh, with the case at this moment.
1: Yeah. I mean, the legal procedures have been extraordinarily convoluted. After the first hearings, the magistrate ruled that Julian couldn't be extradited um, on essentially health grounds and due to the conditions in American prisons. The United States then appealed against that verdict and the High Court uh, accepted the United States' appeal on extraordinarily dubious grounds based on a diplomatic note giving certain assurances which were conditional and based on Julian's future behaviour. Um, And, of course, the the United States government has a record of breaking um, such assurances. And also, those assurances could have been given at the time of the initial
0: hearing and weren't. Uh, And I don't think those assurances have any—it was a diplomatic note. It has no legal validity. It has no legal validity. It's not binding in
1: any sense. And, as I say, it is in itself conditional. It it, it states that— uh, they may change this in future. It actually says that. Well, within, based on his behavior. Based on his okay. behavior, it actually, which they will be the sole judges of, of you know, and which won't involve any further legal process. They will just decide he's going into a supermax because they don't like the way he looks at guards or something. You know, it, uh, it, 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 it's utterly meaningless. And as I say, it's. Um, uh, and so the United States having won that appeal. Uh, so Julian could be extradited, it was then Julian's turn to appeal on all the points he had lost at the original extradition. Uh, And those include um, uh, the First Amendment, include freedom of speech, obviously. Uh, They include the fact that the very extradition treaty under which is being extradited states that there shall be no political extradition. Uh, and, and this is plainly a very uh, political uh, case, uh, and several other important grounds, um, that appeal was lodged. Nothing then happened for a year. Um, and, and that appeal is an extraordinary document. You can actually find it on my on my website, craigmaray.org.uk. I've published the entire appeal document, and it is an amazing document. It, 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 it's an incredible part of piece of legal argument. And some of the things it, it sets out, like the fact that the United States key witness for the charges was an Icelandic guy who they paid for his evidence. They paid him for his evidence. And he is a convicted pedophile and convicted fraudster. And since he has said he lied in his evidence and he just did it for the money. Um, you know. But that's just one example of the kind of things you find the documentation is not dry legal documentation at all. It's well worth going and looking through uh, Julian's uh, appeal. That appeal ran to, I think, 150 pages plus supporting documents. For a year, nothing happened. Um, Then, uh, two or three months ago, it was dismissed uh, in three pages of double-spaced A4, um, in which the judge uh judge swift said that there were no legal arguments no coherent legal arguments in this 150 pages and it followed no norm for no known form of pleading uh and it was dismissed completely and, and the thing is that the appeal was written by some of the greatest lawyers in in the world you know it was um uh uh it's supervised and, and and written by Gareth Pierce, who um, is I, I would say is the greatest living human rights lawyer. Um, those people have seen the film, In the Name of the Father, uh, starring Daniel Day Lewis. Um, uh, Gareth is the lawyer, um, and she's played in the film by Emma Thompson. She is the lawyer who got out all those people who were famed by the British government for being members of the Irish Republican Army and terrorists, and they weren't. They were all famed. It was Gareth who got them out. She, she's won numerous high-profile cases. She has enormous respect all around the world. And this judge, who is nobody, is <laughs> saying uh, that, there's no validity to her pleadings which, which follow no known form of pleading.
0: I, I mean, this is quite extraordinary. And, and am I correct in that he was a barrister essentially for the defense ministry? For I mean, he, he, was a, he served the interests of the UK government, uh, and that's essentially got him his position. Is that correct? Exactly. He was the lead barrister for the security
1: services. Well, he was a barrister who specialized in working for the security services, and he's on record stating that the security services were his favorite clients uh, because they are, you know, organized and brilliant and cogent. He's entirely a tool of the security services, Uh, and that's why he was given this uh, particular job. Um, So
0: uh, uh, there's a right of appeal normally, uh, Let me just interrupt because it's a little yeah. different from the American system. Yeah. And I've i, I, I have tried to get my head around the UK mm-hmm. legal system. It's an appeal to a two-judge panel, yeah. uh, a, a bit like our appellate court. Mm-hmm. And essentially, the appeal states that uh, there wasn't sufficient grounds for the judge to make this ruling. Is that correct, basically? That's right. Um, There's now,
1: if you like, you were already at an appeal stage uh, and now you're an appeal to the high court. Now you're making an appeal to the appeal court, which is actually the same court. It's physically the same place and it's the same panel of judges. Um, But it will be a different judge to Judge Swift. Um, And the appeal now is to a two-judge panel and it's saying that um, it's it's an appeal for a right to further make the appeal. It's not an appeal for the entire judgment to be overturned. Um, and Judge Swift, in his uh, you know judgment dismissing with contempt the entire case and not bothering really to answer any of the arguments, uh, he said that the uh, this appeal has to be limited to twenty pages of A4, and that the, uh, it will be timetabled at a as a 30 minute appeal and that's 30 minutes it's not 30 minutes for the defense that's 30 minutes for the entire hearing so so plainly you know that's a, a kind of summary process to just try and close off the final avenue of appeal um and and, and this is you know this is all quite extraordinary uh, it, it, it there's almost no pretence of due process in in involved there but that's been true. Throughout the, um, throughout the proceedings, one of the things um, I witnessed uh, during the initial extradition hearings was that when procedural motions were made, for example, on whether certain evidence was admissible, the defense would stand up and argue why the evidence should be admissible, and then the prosecution would stand up and argue why the evidence should not be admissible then the judge would give her a ruling. But the judge came into court, and the, it, the public gallery is seated above the judge. You're higher than the judge. So you can look down on the judge. And I saw 100% for certain the judge came into court with her ru- ruling already typed out before she heard the arguments. Uh, and she sat there almost pretending to listen to... What the defence was saying for now an and what the prosecution was saying for now, then she simply read out the ruling. She's like be-
0: the Queen of Hearts. It was in Alice in Wonderland, you know, giving the yeah. verdict before she hears the sentence. Precisely that, and but exactly, it's much more convenient. And the
1: um, uh, my own strong suspicion <coughs> is it's not the judge who wrote that ruling.
0: Right, that's what she was given. Uh <laughs> You know, as. This is what we wanted to a ruling on this And just before we go on, I mean, you and I have covered, you've covered it more extensively than I have, but I've covered it and have been in London for some of the hearings. Mm. Uh, On the most basic level, the evisceration of attorney-client privilege, because UC Global recorded the meetings between Julian and his lawyers, that in a UK court, as in a US court alone, should get the trial invalidated. Yeah, in any democracy in the world, if, if your intelligence services have been
1: recording the, the client's uh, attorney consultations, um, that would get the case thrown What the Americans are claiming, what the Americans claimed in court and the British government and, and the British judge accepted was that the CIA, having recorded all the material, did nothing with it. They didn't give it to anybody. They did not give it to the Justice Department, that but, but nobody else in the American government saw it. I mean, if that were true, I should say, I don't believe it for the moment, but if I were an American taxpayer, I would want to know why right. is the CIA going to enormous lengths and spending loads of money to obtain secret recordings of law lo- and, and then do nothing with them? You know, how that, how can that be true? It, it makes absolutely no sense. And any judge would laugh that out. Of course, it's like me saying that, you know, I OK, I did rob the bank around the corner, but I wasn't going to spend the money. I was just keeping it in the cupboard. So that's OK. Uh, it, it, it's... It's completely ludicrous, uh, and the fact that was accepted. You know, it's one of many, just extraordinary rulings in 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 this case. And it it's actually hurt me. Uh, to 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 be honest, I had some belief in uh the judicial system. I had some belief that in Western democracies there is due process, and and there's a certain amount of fairness. I now don't believe that at all. I've absolutely completely. Come to the conclusion that it's a, a charade and a fake, and, and the powers behind the scenes dictate what happens in major cases in the justice system. And, well, and, you
0: had three months in jail, I guess, to get that point <laughs> driven onto you in jail to, to, to get used to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this is the last within the UK legal system. This appeal, which, as I understand, was so it was uh, this was three months ago. Weren't, didn't wasn't there a six-week deadline where they had to render a ruling within six weeks? They had well the
1: defence had six weeks to submit their I see. Their twenty page and um, and the the understanding was that, you know, that meant that the thing would be would be done very quickly. But it's it's all terribly arbitrary. You know, after the first appeal was submitted, um, there was a, a year's gap for no over a year's gap for no reason at all. And then just a three-page response to it. You know, well, it doesn't take a year to, to write a, a three-page response. And so at times it seems as though the process is for punishment. I mean, they're, they're quite happy that, that they've got Julian in a maximum security prison in dreadful positions and they're slowly killing him in effect. And so they are in no hurry. Uh, and at times it seems as though they're deliberately doing things as slowly as possible.
0: Well, this is what Niels Melzer, the special rapporteur on torture for the UN, said that he, he called it a, what a, a slow motion execution, I think, were his yeah. words.
1: And, it be, and um, as you know, they put me in, uh, in, in, in jail. And my, um, my own belief is that that wasn't anything to do with the articles I'd published on the trial right, of Alex Salmon. Right. That was just the excuse. It of course. Because of my advocacy for and friendship with Julian, that's why they put me in jail, I think. And that I was in a cell... My cell was 12 feet by eight feet, which is slightly larger than Julian's cell. And I was kept in solitary confinement for 23 hours a day, sometimes 23 and a half hours a day, uh, <clears throat> for four months. And that's extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult. But I knew when I was leaving, you know, yeah. I, had an, I had an end date, to be in those kind of conditions as Julian is and having no, for years and years, and no idea if it will ever stop, no idea if you will ever be let out alive, let alone not having an, an end date. I just can't imagine, yeah.
0: you know, how psychologically crushing that would, that would be. Well, we heard some very disturbing testimony at the hearing about his psychological state, which, to her credit, Baritza took into, the judge, she did. took okay. into account, and, uh, but, uh, you know, calling the suicide hotline and hallucinating and banging his head against the wall. I mean, he's been four years now, is it, in, in this high security prison in London at Belmarsh and then seven years hmm. in the embassy.
1: And, you know, it's quite, it's amazing this is happening. You know, he's hes a publisher. I know. For goodness sake. He's not even a whistleblower. I know. He's just Unlike Ellsberg,
0: people forget Ellsberg took the documents. Yeah. Exactly. Julian published them. Yeah. Um, he didn't take them.
1: Yeah. Uh, that that's exactly right, and um, when I myself blew the whistle, the Financial Times published the information. Um, this is on the
0: black sites. Uh, uh, in on Uzbekistan. black sites, an
1: extraordinary rendition, right. yeah. Um, and I was. I was fully expecting to go to jail at that stage. I thought, you know, I'm a whistleblower. I've done this for moral reasons. I'm prepared to go to jail for it. You know, I think we've got to stop this extraordinary rendition program. That means me going to jail. I'm prepared to take that. I'd have been astonished if they'd locked up the editor of the Financial Times for, for publishing the information. That's not how the system works. It's the whistleblower who takes the moral responsibility. Um, this is a publisher, and you're locking him up with... Literally, the worst terrorists in 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 Europe who are kept in that maximum security establishment why it's quite extraordinary look at me i, I I'm an old bloke who writes and I was kept in solitary confinement for four months well why yeah you know, well, what why do I need why does Julian need? Why are we such a danger that you have to be kept?
0: In the same uh, conditions as serial killers. Well, because you're exposing truths, mm. very inconvenient truths, mm. about uh, the reality of the systems that we live under, uh, which you're right. It's a democratic facade, but it's not democratic anymore, mm. like the late Roman Republic. I want to talk about, so once this two-panel uh, hearing is over, and mm. I think the it's a pretty safe assumption that they will... Uh, reject uh, the appeal. What happens then? The immediate thing that will happen is that
1: Julian's lawyers will try to go to the European Court in in Strasbourg to... European Court of Human Rights. European Court of Human Rights to to submit uh, an appeal and get the extradition stopped pending an appeal. The worry is that uh, Julian would instantly be extradited, you know, that they that the government
0: wouldn't wait uh, to hear from the European Court. Um, Explain well, to Americans what it is and what jurisdiction it has in the UK, the European Court. Yeah. The European Court of Human
1: Rights is not a European Union body. It's a body of the Council of Europe. Um, and it has, it, it has jurisdiction over the European Convention of Human Rights, which um guarantees basic human rights and ver- and therefore it has legally binding jurisdiction over human rights violations in, in any member state of the treaty um so it does have a, le- a legally binding jurisdiction and is acknowledged as such normally by the u k government that they're, they're very powerful voices within the current conservative government in the u k which wants to exit the uh uh the uh, Convention on Human Rights, but at present that's not that's not the case. The UK is still a part of this system, and so the European Court of Human Rights has legally binding authority over the government of the United Kingdom purely on matters that contravene human rights.
0: Yeah. And if they do extradite him, I mean, they've essentially nullified that process. I mean, the fear is that, of course, the security services would know about the ruling in advance, he'd be on the tarmac and yeah. shuttled it, you know, sedated and put in a diaper and hooded or something and put on a CIA flight to Washington. I want to talk about if that happens, I mm-hmm. think it's certainly very possible w- what we need to do here. And I know part of the reason you're in the United States is to prepare for that should it take place. I think you will try and cover the hearings trial here as you did in the uk but let's talk about where we go if that event occurs
1: yeah well i think first thing to say is that if that happens on the day it happens it will be the biggest news story in the world it will be a massive news story um so we have to be uh prepared we have to know um who for me assange movement, or who from his defense team, who's going to be the spokesman, who are going to be the spokespeople, who are going to be offered up to all the major news agencies, because we have to affect the story on day one. Because if you get behind the story, and we know what their line will be, they'll put out all these lies about... uh, people being killed because of WikiLeaks, about the American security being endangered. We know all the propaganda that they will try to flood the airwaves with. So we we need to be ready and ahead of the game uh, to know who our people are, who are going to be offered up to interview, who are going to proactively get onto the media, and, and not just the alternative media like this media, but onto the mainstream media as well, uh, so-called mainstream. Um, and... Uh, and and get out the story. So so those things have to be taken. And then there are all the um the, the practical things. You know, there, there are many on uh, Julian's family, which will need to come over to support him. We'll need to know immediately how to uh, how to get them, where to get them to, what their accommodation is going to be. We need activists on that day, uh, to be ready to go out and start demonstrating all over the United States. Uh, and one thing, um, that I I really believe. I've been very, on this tour I'm on in in the States at the moment, I've been meeting activists and there's a huge base of very experienced and extremely impressive activists who are interested in the Assange case. But there's no real spark to it yet. I think the day he arrives, uh, and you will have uh, the Deadwood Press, like (laughs) the Washington Post and the New York Times, will be running editorials saying this shouldn't be happening. Uh, So there will be, uh, much more public awareness of what's happening and what's behind it, and, and I think that Dave. There are a lot of people ready to jump into action. Well, they have to know what to do. No, we have to have, we have to know in each city and town in the United States where there's going to be a demonstration the day he arrives, where people should go, what time they should get there. You know, all we need to start preparing that kind of base level of
0: uh, 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 of activism. I used to, I visited Julian with my friend Michael Ratner, who was. Julian's lawyer mm-hmm. since we've lost Michael a couple of years ago. But I remember – he was a great civil rights attorney, founded mm-hmm. the Center mm-hmm. for Constitutional Rights. But I remember Michael uh, telling me that in order to prosecute these cases – and he got legal representation, for instance, for the prisoners mm-hmm. in Guantanamo. You need people in the streets. That it's – uh, extremely important and he's talking about his work in the courtroom yeah. that there are people outside the courtroom and you may have been in the courtroom when I was in London yeah. with Baritzer complaining at one point the judge yeah. about the noise yeah. in outside the courtroom.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's absolutely right. We're, uh, we're going to need to um, have uh, people at the actual court itself and of course we don't know exactly there'll be all kinds of procedural steps of Julian being produced and not produced and and uh, and, and all kinds of motions filed and things before the court itself gets, uh, the trial proper gets going. Um, but at each stage, it's very important to have people uh, available and, and at the courtroom and able to go outside.
0: What about the argument that Biden doesn't want to deal with this? Well, he's, I mean, he's a very close mm-hmm. election. He's kind of neck and neck with Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then let's also talk about the uh, speculation that there might be a plea deal and he could go to Australia. He's an Australian mm-hmm. citizen, of course. Well, firstly, um, I sometimes
1: really wonder whether the United States government realizes how it looks to the outside world. You know, here you have a government whose main political opponent, and I'm no fan of Donald Trump, I'm not a fan of Donald Trump, but he is their main political opponent. And they're trying to put him in prison so he can't fight in an election. Now, how does that look to the rest of the world? What are you constantly accusing Russia of doing? What, what are you constantly accusing all kinds of other nations of doing? You know, how does that affect U.S. standing? We've got a presidential election coming, so the guy who's ahead in the polls, let's put him in jail so he can't stand. You know, that's. And if at the same time you're doing that, you're also trying to put the most famous publisher in the world in jail simultaneously... What what message is that sending out to the world? You know, that's sending out the message to the world that you are a completely fake democracy and that your human rights record is actually no better than that of China or Russia or any of these other countries you are constantly criticising. Um, so I think the Biden administration would be completely mad to, to bring Julian here, to extradite Julian. You know, I, I, I don't understand why they don't see the the danger in what they are doing in terms of freedom of speech worldwide and people's opinion to repression and and censorship I I think
0: because it's driven by the CIA, I think the Mm. CIA with Vault 7, which exposed the hacking tools Mm. that the CIA has put into our phones, our televisions, even our cars. Mm. Uh, And that, of course, is when Trump announced the extradition. And and before Mm. uh, President Obama had used the Espionage Act against whistleblowers. But he hadn't used it against journalists. Trump uh, upped the ante by mm-hmm. calling for the use of the Espionage Act to extradite, in this mm-hmm. sense, a, a journalist. Uh, but my reading of it is that it, it, they don't care how they look. And part of it is to send a message. Um, it doesn't matter what nationality you are. It doesn't matter where you are. WikiLeaks is not a US-based publication. It doesn't matter where you are. If you expose the kind of information that Julian and WikiLeaks exposed, we're going to come for you. Isn't that the message? I think that's absolutely right. Uh, and, and this, again, it's
1: amazing. They don't see the dangers in this claim of universal jurisdiction. The United States isn't going to be the most powerful country in the world for much longer. It, arguably, it already isn't. But, but uh, you know, China is growing stronger and, and stronger. What are they going to say when Chinese, the Chinese start plucking away American journalists for having published something rude about China, even though they've never been to China. You know, and this claim of universal jurisdiction is extraordinary. And what's even more extraordinary is they're claiming universal jurisdiction, that Julian uh, is under their jurisdiction because he published American secrets, even though he's not an American and he wasn't in America. And at the same time, while they claim jurisdiction over him, they're claiming he has no First Amendment rights because he's an Australian. Now that's an extra the combination of that, okay, we have jurisdiction over you, you have all the uh, liabilities that come with that, but you have none of the rights that come with that because you're not one of our citizens that you know that that's pernicious uh, uh, and I actually um it's so illogical and so vicious. I actually didn't believe it. I thought this was oh. just Pompeo mouthing off until um there was a recent Supreme Court judgment about two years ago in the case of um, uh, u s aid against overseas development agencies um where it said essentially that the people abroad in receipt of u s aid don't have first amendment rights um and can be gagged from saying certain things as a condition of aid because they're not u s citizens and if you read the judgment, the judgment specifically says we cannot accord First Amendment rights to non-U.S. citizens because otherwise it would have to apply to overseas citizens uh, handled by the U.S. military. So what they're saying is, if Julian has First Amendment rights, then people in Guantanamo Bay right. have rights. So uh, no, no one has. I, I just rights. want
0: to close because there's been noises yeah. out of Australia. The ambassador Carolyn yeah. Kennedy said that they, you know, might consider a plea deal. I, I have put no. Credence in it. I think it's all smoke. But I wondered what you thought.
1: Yeah, I think it's an attempt to placate Australian public opinion. Public opinion in Australia is extremely strong. You know, over eighty percent of Australians want Julian released and allowed to go home to Australia. Um, and Blinken came there and made some very um, uh, hostile and and undiplomatic remarks. Uh, at a time Australia was allowing the United States to base nuclear weapons right. on its uh, side. <laughs> And um, so I think Caroline Kennedy came out this. I think it's a lie, frankly. Uh, uh, she, there's, there has been no approach from the Justice Department or from the State Department offering any kind of plea deal. It, it, it's purely smoke and mirrors to try to distract the Australian public. Uh, Caroline Kennedy was lying to the Australian public. Uh, that's
0: pure and simple. Great. Thanks. That was Craig Murray, uh, the former British ambassador to Uzbekistan and one of the great champions of Julian Assange. I want to thank the Real News Network and its production team, Cameron Granadino, Adam Coley, David Hebden, and Kayla Rivera. You can find me at chrishedges.substack.